When people ask Brian, he'll answer you and he'll tell you something that probably is not that encouraging. Uh, diet and exercise. And the guy, the pounds just fell off of him. Diet and exercise. And I think the reason that so many fail to achieve Brian's results is not that they don't have the same desire that Brian had, but that they don't have the same discipline that Brian had. The Proverbs say that the sluggard craves, but gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You know, a lot of us want things. In fact, so much so that we crave them in life. But we don't get them because we don't have the discipline that it takes to see it through to the end. The sluggard craves. Boy, he wants something, but he gets nothing. Why? Because he's... A sluggard, he's lazy. But the desires of the diligent, the Bible says, are fully satisfied. We have the teaching in our culture. We'll pay a hundred, hundreds of dollars for diet programs that promise you can drink a milkshake, take a nap, and wake up and have lost 10 pounds. But that's not reality. Reality is that it takes work, it takes discipline. And it's always easier to console yourself with the idea of tomorrow. Well, you know, today such and so is happening, but tomorrow I'm going to start exercising. Tomorrow I'm going to start, you know, eating right. When life settles down, well then, you know, I'll have more time to do this and that. And the thing is, if you'll just be honest, you'll see that you've been saying that for years. There's always going to be something that crowds in to be the reason that you're not doing the exercise or whatever it is that you feel like you want to do or that which you crave but you don't have discipline or add the discipline to it. What's the path to physical health? It's really pretty easy as far as what it is. Diet and exercise, but the difficulty is the discipline to do it. What's the path to spiritual health? What is the path to godliness? You know, many people believe the same thing about the spiritual life that they do about the physical life. We want to drink a milkshake and wake up having lost 10 pounds. We want somebody to just teach us something that's going to change us. We want to get, you know, a particular Bible that's going to, you know, give us insight that's going to change us. We want to go to a conference or retreat expecting that that is going to change us. We want to be changed. We don't want to change. And therein lies the difficulty of our spiritual lives. We are trusting God to do what God has also commanded us to do. Life is never going to settle down. We want to grow in the spiritual life, but we don't want to break a sweat. Again, the problem is that's not reality. It's like the physical life. You're never going to become physically what you want to be by just sitting there. Same thing in the spiritual life. You're never going to grow in your walk with Christ to the extent that you would if you put forth the effort along the path to godliness that he's provided. Well, and that's what I'd like us to look at today. Turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4.
1 Timothy 4. We're going to take a break for a couple months from the book of Mark and going to be looking at a series on what are called the spiritual disciplines. Those habits or those disciplines that believers all throughout history have been doing, those that are revealed in the scripture, like uh, reading your Bible, like meditating on scripture, like prayer, fasting, obedience, worship, stewardship, these kind of things that initially people think, wait a minute, you know, don't tell me about doing all that. That's legalism. And it's a misunderstanding of what legalism is. You're not trying to do all these things in order to be accepted by Christ. You do these things in the security of knowing you already are accepted by Christ. But rather, these disciplines or these commands that the Lord has given are not the means of acceptance. You're already accepted. If you place your faith in Christ, there's nothing you can do that you're not going to already be accepted. They're not the means of acceptance. They are the means of growth by which you grow in your walk with God. God uses several things to help us to grow. A couple of them you can't control. One is people. can't control people, what they say to you, what they do to you. can't control them. Circumstances is another thing, totally out of your control. And yet the third element that the Lord provides us as a means of growth is totally within your control, and that's yourself. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, or the idea of discipline and diligence. You can't control someone's reaction to you, you can't control the weather, but you can control whether or not you do such and so, whether or not uh, how you speak, whether or not how you think. And through all things uncontrollable, God works on us from the outside. But through the spiritual disciplines that the Lord provides, he works on us from the inside. Now we're going to look at chapter 4, almost all of it here in 1 Timothy. And Timothy is written to Timothy from Paul. Timothy is a young pastor, and many of the things written here, starting in verse 6, are tailored for a pastor, but they also are talking about a servant of Jesus, not just a minister, but also any person, any Christian who is a servant of Jesus Christ. There are some things in particular that we're going to see, like teaching, that is particularly of... Um, the, the pastor's responsibility, but also there are many other things we're going to look at here generally that fit everybody, that fit all of us in the Christian life. Well, let's start in verse 6 and look at uh, an introduction to these disciplines. Paul says, "...and pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Paul writes to this young pastor, tells him how to be a good servant, or you could translate it minister, but we're going to think of it as it's translated here as well in a more general sense of a servant of the Lord like every believer is to be. And we're given three things here, one in this particular to Timothy, pointing these things out to the people, 
But these other two are also particular to everybody. To be a good servant of Jesus Christ, he says, you are constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. Constantly nourished on the truth. The word here for nourish comes from a word that means to eat. And so they've translated it this way. It's a metaphor for almost like eating the, the Bible. You're taking it in. You're ingesting it, digesting and making it a part of who you are. It nourishes you. What does God's word do for us? It nourishes us. It makes us spiritually healthy. Just like eating right makes you physically healthy, so proper intake spiritually makes you spiritually healthy. It nourishes your soul. Some parts are like candy. Some parts are like vegetables. But all of it, God uses all the word of God. It is able to correct us, to reprove us, and to train us in righteousness. In Peter, one of Peter's letters, he said, like little babies, he gives the illustration of a baby. He says, like a little baby, you need to long for the milk of the word, the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So you see the disciplines like Bible reading, like prayer, etc., they are not the end. It's not like, well, I've read my Bible today and so now I'm godly, now I'm spiritual. Not at all. That's like saying, because I'm holding a straw, I've got liquid in my body. The straw is the means through which the liquid comes. The Bible is the means through which we grow. The goal is not to read the Bible. We've got unbelievers, you know, all across the world that read the Bible, and it does nothing for them. Uh, we've got believers that read the Bible, and it does nothing for them. But the difference is, what is the heart in reading this word? Is it to be read as nourishment? God, show me today one thing that you would have me chew on, that I can think about all day long, that I can, that I can think about this like, almost like gum, that I just chew on it all day long. And not only is it a matter of letting it nourish you, but now it is constantly that which you do. Because it also says, not only is a good servant constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine, which you have been following. It's not enough simply to know the truth, but it is also a matter of living it out. Again, it's just like the physical life. It's diet and exercise. It is what you take in, healthy. It is your output that makes you healthy. It's the same in the spiritual life. You're nourished on the words of the faith, and you are constantly living it. You are following it. It's input and it's output. Just like physical, so it's spiritual. The health requires both of these. You can't simply teach the truth. You can't simply be nourished the truth on the truth, if you don't live the truth also, it's a waste of time. James says it's like a guy who goes and looks at his face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. Why do you even go look at it? The purpose of going is to see what needs to be changed and change it. You can tell by a lot of guys that it's like, don't even look in the mirror. Right? A lot of men. In fact, James uses the word for man. 
a male. Because it's so often the truth. We'll look in the mirror and just kind of walk away and having done nothing. That's what it's like if you don't apply the Word of God. To read it, but not to do it. What, uh, what are you chewing on right now? You got something that you're chewing on? You got something that's nourishing your soul? You should. There ought to be a time where you can... Uh, somebody could walk up to you and say, tell me what you're chewing on now. Tell me what you're thinking about now in the Scripture. Not that they're quizzing you. Not that that makes you spiritual. But there ought to be something that you were constantly thinking about, constantly nourished on the words of the faith. So when you read in the morning, or if you read in the evening, or if you read at lunchtime, wherever your time is to read, don't just read, slam it shut, and go away to immediately forget what you look like. But read until the Holy Spirit allows some truth to shine. And then chew on that and say, God, show me how I can specifically apply that. Don't try to apply every single thing you read. You can't do it. Find that one thing for that day that you can apply and then make it your goal. I will apply this text today. And if you do that all your life, you will grow in your walk with Christ. You will. A good servant is nourished on the sound doctrine, follows sound doctrine, but a good servant also opposes something. Something is taken in and something is rejected. Look at what's rejected. Verse 7. But, notice the contrast. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now this is kind of a bad translation. God's got nothing against the elderly ladies. It's kind of a figure of speech like saying, pay no attention to old wives' tales. That's nothing to do with old wives. It's Pay, nothing, pay no attention to error, to that which is just a story or a fable. And in our culture, it means have nothing to do with the wisdom of the world. The world tells you something that contradicts Scripture. You don't listen to what the world says. You go with what the Scripture says. And I'll tell you what, as we walk through this text today, there's going to be a lot we'll talk about that the world is saying particularly about the idea of discipline. The world's idea of discipline is, of course, all physical. They'll do it for that. But spiritual, relational, it's just not worth the effort because it's too hard. And so we don't do it. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, with the wisdom of the world. Then what are we to do? What are we to focus on? Look at the second half of that verse. On the other hand, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. The word here for discipline in the original language that Paul wrote is the word gumnazo. We get our word gymnasium from it, or gymnastics. And it has the idea of exercise, of physical exercise. In fact, the old King James translation says, exercise thyself unto godliness. And that doesn't mean that you go run a mile and you become more like Christ. It means that you discipline your heart. You're training your heart. You're doing the hard work that it takes to be a Christian. You know, physical discipline, Paul says, is a lot like spiritual discipline. To be in shape physically requires control. 
of what goes in. It requires control of the output, of, of healthy intake and healthy output. So spiritually, make sure that you're nourished on the words of the faith. That's healthy input. And make sure you're following it. That's a healthy output. You know, Alexander the Great did a lot for, uh, actually God used him to do a lot for the world, for God's plan for the world. Back a couple, two, three hundred years before, before Jesus was around, Alexander the Great conquered. He was a Greek and he conquered all the known world at that time. And which was all part of God's plan to conquer all the world, to make all the world speak Greek, and then God writes the New Testament in Greek, which all the world can read. So God used Alexander that way. But he also, it's interesting to, to note that how Alexander died, because he died drunk and he died of uh, complications with immoral diseases. You got a guy who could conquer the whole world, but couldn't conquer himself. Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You cannot change other people. You can change yourself. Nobody can make you a disciplined person but you. A person who is not a disciplined person is usually that way because that's what they have chosen. A person who is a disciplined person is that way usually because that's what they have chosen. Very seldom do you find a person that is very disciplined spiritually by accident. It's a choice. She, uh, Kathy and I had a friend who died some years ago who at the funeral, the pastor said that she was godly because that's what she chose. That's what she willed. She willed to be that way. It was a choice. She disciplined herself for the purpose of godliness. Greg Graham told, told me this week that by the time he gets a certain age, he's got a goal to make a certain time in, in a marathon. And the thing is, he's got physical goal, determines his discipline. Spiritual discipline also has a goal. It's not just that God says, look, I want you to discipline yourself spiritually. I want you to, you know, read your Bible. I want you to pray. I want you to do this and do that just to do it. That's not the, the end. Greg's not going to be training for hours just to train for hours. He's training for a goal. His goal is a certain time. In the spiritual life, we're not just doing it to do it. But discipline yourself for a purpose, for the purpose of godliness. Now, why would we pursue godliness? I mean, that sounds noble, but what's the big deal? Why be godly? Why be like God? Well, for one thing, God tells us to, in fact, he commands us to here. The word here, discipline, is an imperative command. Uh, the King James we read before says, exercise thyself into godliness. If you've got the New International Version, it says, train yourself to be godly. And I like how the New Living Translation renders it. It says, spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Why? For godliness. Why does God want us to be godly? Look at the very next verse, verse 8, because he tells us why. He says, for bodily discipline, that is physical discipline, is only of little profit, 
But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying that, that physical, the physical discipline is of profit. And it could be translated, it's profitable for a little time, that is, for this life. But godliness is not only profitable for this life, but for all time. So the benefit of godliness is not just here and now, it's forever. It profits you forever. Tom Landry once said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. That's what Landry tried to do with the Cowboys. He said, the job is to make, make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. And you and I are called to be disciplined Christians. Not only to have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, but to walk with him in discipline and to be faithful to him in discipline, in which we would naturally try to avoid. You know, when Landry coached those guys, they didn't want to run one more lap, but it was that one more lap and then the one more lap that made them so strong to go to all those Super Bowls. It's the struggle in our life where we do what we don't want to do, where we do what we should do when we don't want to do it, that makes the difference between failure and success. We see today that the goal of godliness, the text shows us, is reached through spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. That doesn't mean that you're doing it all yourself. We'll talk about this here in just a second. It's not like the Holy Spirit has nothing to do in it, in the process. He has everything to do with the process. He is the one who changes you. But that change comes about as we respond to his commands. The means through which he brings about change in our lives is as he uses these means to change us. It's like a conduit. The Bible is like a conduit. It's like a straw. It's like a pipe through which God's truth comes into our lives, into our hearts, and also through which the Spirit encourages us to live it out. I fell in love with the guitar when I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. So much so that when I came to North Texas State University back in the 80s, I majored in classical guitar. And for about two hours every day, for about three and a half years, I practiced. And I figured that up. I'd never figured it up before, but that's 2,555 hours. That's a lot. 2,555 hours of guitar. But that is what it took for me to pass my guitar barrier. I remember once during that study to, uh, that I sat there in front of a master player. Christopher Parkening came. Many of you have heard of this guy, and if you've never heard Christopher Parkening and you know that he's going to be around, go listen to him. It's like the, the guy was born with the guitar. Amazing. He's a Christian. He uses his, uh, his skill as a ministry. And anyway, I watched this guy work this guitar, and I thought, boy, I don't even know how to play. He was that good. And that's probably because he'd been practicing a whole lot more than two hours a day. 
To be that, that kind of skill requires that kind of discipline. And the irony of it, when you look at this and you say, you know what, uh, it's, it so sounds to me like legalism, that you tell me that I've got to grow in the Christian life and that the way that I grow in the Christian life is by doing this, by doing this, by doing this. That sounds like legalism, Wayne. No, legalism are doing things in order to be accepted by God. That's what the Pharisees did. That's why Jesus got so angry with the Pharisees. Because they did it thinking that doing that made them accepted by God. It's totally wrong. Jesus taught from the basis of grace. The whole New Testament teaches the basis of grace. That you do such and so because you already are accepted. In fact, God will work through your obedience in these commands, in these disciplines, to bring about a freedom. Not a bondage, but a freedom. For example, Christopher Parkening can play, because of his diligence, he, can, he has the freedom to play any piece on the guitar he wants to. I do not have that freedom, because I do not have that discipline for the guitar. And it's the same way with any other skill in life, be it your vocation, be it parenting, be it uh, prayer, or even Bible reading. If you're disciplined to do it, you have the freedom to enjoy the benefit of it. Listen to what Elizabeth Elliot wrote. She said, Freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive. That means they don't have anything to do with each other. How can I have freedom if I have to have discipline? She says, When in fact, freedom is not at all the opposite, but the final reward of discipline. Freedom is the reward of discipline. When you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, you enjoy a freedom in the spiritual life you wouldn't enjoy any other way. What do I mean? Well, like parking on the guitar. He's got a freedom to play. But think of it in the spiritual life. A person who has disciplined themselves to read the Word, even learn the Word, to memorize portions of this book, that person has the freedom that at any time, at any time, they can recall that truth and apply it. And when there is a struggle throughout the day, they don't have to run back to the car or run to the shelf and find the Bible and go, okay, where was that? But they've got it written on their heart. They're nourished on the words of the faith, and then they can apply it. Having learned it, now they have the freedom to live it at any moment. That's why I say it's like gum. You need to chew it all throughout the day to where you have it there with you. And having that, you can enjoy the benefit of it. That discipline brings a freedom with it. Uh, we enjoy the freedom of selflessness. We have a freedom from selfishness when we worship, when we give, when we share Christ with other people. We have a freedom there. We have a freedom of peace of mind when we read the scripture and we read that we are secure in our faith and we don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. We have a freedom through discipline. Seems ironic, and yet it is very true. So you want to be spiritual? You want to be godly? You're not just going to wake up one day and it's going to happen. You know, like you wake up one day and you're a certain age. You didn't have anything to do with that. You just time. That didn't happen with the spiritual life. 
You're not going to wake up one morning and walk in and look at the mirror and go, well, look at that. I'm godly. I had no idea that was going to happen today. There it is. It's not going to happen. It's not going to surprise you. It is a choice that you make to be godly or to be godless. It's a choice. Discipline has a purpose. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. If Greg Graham had no physical goal of the marathon at a certain time, there'd be no purpose for the hours of running. If we did not have a goal spiritually, it would be a waste of time. But we're, get, we're told why here to do it. Because the goal is godliness. Why do we want to be godly? Because it benefits you in this life and also in the life to come. It's profitable for everything. Your spiritual life is your life. You realize that? The quality of your spiritual life is the quality of your life. And if your spiritual life is not where it needs to be, then your life is not where it needs to be. You can find people in dire circumstances who, whose spiritual life is healthy because that's what they have chosen. Or you can find people in what we would think is great circumstances like the rich and famous. What is it? Jennifer Lopez is now in her third marriage, right? The last couple of days. And yet she's got all the acclaim, all the money, and yet just can't seem to make it work relationally. Why? Because it's not all about money. It's not all about circumstances. It's about your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. First and last. Why do we labor and strive? Look at verse 9. God has provided us to pursue a path of godliness. He says, It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. The word here for strive in the language Paul wrote is the word agonizo. We get our word agonize, agony from it. That your effort in the spiritual life is so strong, it could be described in somewhat as agony. You're striving for it. It's like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying so hard to the Father that he was sweating. And it's almost like drops of blood, the, the text says. Just like an athlete gives their all to win a race, so we are to strive to live for the Lord. Why do we labor and strive? Why do we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? We're told right here, because we have hope in the living God who is our Savior. Our Savior. The Savior of all men, especially of believers. What does that mean? Christ died on the cross for all to be saved, and yet only those who believe in him are saved. His grace is the basis by which we do all these disciplines. We don't do it to be accepted. We do it because we are accepted. So in other words, spiritual discipline is fueled by gratitude for God's grace. Gratitude. You're not earning anything. You're not growing on your own effort. Paul asked the Galatians, he said, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now growing in your spiritual life by the power of the flesh? No. These disciplines are not the end. They are the means by which the Spirit works in your life. You are accepted by God's grace, period. 
So rather than a legalistic list of things to be due to be, to be accepted by God, God's grace provides you that security where when you blow it, you're still saved. When you've had a bad day, you're still saved. And God looks at you with just as much favor as he did when you are, in your mind, doing great. You don't have to read your Bible every day for God to love you. But you know what? If you want to grow in your walk with Christ, then you need to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith because that is the means by which you grow in respect to salvation. Look at verse 12. Paul challenges Timothy with these words. He says, look, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, con conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In other words, your age is totally irrelevant. You can be young, you can be old, you can be somewhere in between. That is not a reason, that is not an excuse to not walk with Christ. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. What you want to show is your character, your speech. How's your speech? Your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. Show yourself an example. You are to be a model believer, an example of those who believe. First is mentioned your character. But then notice what else is mentioned. Verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery or by the elders. In other words, he says you're to be devoted to the Bible. Read the Scriptures, publicly read, read the Scriptures, particularly here for a pastor. But for us as well, we're nourished on the words of the faith and... He says, don't neglect the gift within you. You're to be living it out. So you've got your, your content, you've got your, your competency, your giftedness, your input, your output, but also, he says, first, your character. Because you can be a great teacher, you can be a great servant, you can be a great giver, you can be great at mercy. You can have great doctrine. But if your speech your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity is not there, then those other things are going to greatly suffer. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Literally, you will save yourself and your hearers. Now, understanding context, that doesn't mean that you'll go to heaven because of this. He's talking about the quality of your life. The, the discipline that he says in this context is a discipline that is profitable not only for this life, but also for the life to come. Not only for yourself, but for those who hear you. It will be beneficial. And look at these words, their commands. Take pains. Be absorbed. Pay attention. Persevere. The world is going to tell you, if you've got a struggle in your life, if what you're going through is really hard, then that's not God's will for you. The victorious Christian life is an easy life. Find your way out. Look for the easiest way out. 
That's not what we read here. We read here that struggle and perseverance are normal in the Christian life. Normal. That's why we're challenged not to quit, to persevere. You know, a lot of times when you see other people, you get the impression they've got it all together, or at least they've got it together more than you. That your problems are somehow unique from other people. They don't really struggle to the level that you do. And sometimes we'll also flip it the other way, that you've got it all together and the world's going to pot. You know, it's, it's the same problem, just from two different extremes. But we're talking here about the fact that you think, you know, I shouldn't be struggling this much. Sometimes you, you find it easier to enjoy fellowship with other people until you really get to know them and you find out they're struggling just like you are. Remember what the scripture says? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What you're going through, somebody else has already been going through. It's common. In fact, thousands of years ago they were going through it. So the challenge here isn't to find a way out, but rather that you stand up under it. You persevere and allow God to provide that way out. About 10 years ago when I actually was training for the Cowtown Marathon myself. On long runs, I was completely spent toward the very end. You're getting ready for the race. Completely spent, you know, running like 19, 20 something miles, and you're just ready to absolutely fall over. And there were always two temptations for me when, whenever I was training. When there's no crowd, there's nobody saying, hey, great job, keep going. When there's no snicker bars on the side to give you that boost of sugar, when it's just you and the street. The two temptations were, one, find a shortcut and head home. I mean every single time. When you're running for hours, you've got a lot of time to think. Well, let's see, if I go this way, turn that way, I can make it home a lot faster than if I do what I planned. You think these crazy things, almost get delirious. And another temptation is just to out and out quit. This is too hard, it ain't worth it, forget it. Same thing's true in the spiritual life. That's why the physical life is compared to the spiritual life here because those same two temptations are there. The world is going to say, the devil's going to say, this is too hard, here's a shortcut. Here's the way to get where you want to be without having to do what God wants you to do. So take this route. Or the other temptation is just to say, forget it. Just forget it. It's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us here, take pains, be absorbed, Pay attention. Persevere. Don't quit. Keep going. Why? Because as you do this, you'll save yourself and other people. Don't quit. You will benefit your own life as well as the lives of others. So rededicate your life and your heart this morning to being faithful to the disciplines. We'll talk about them as the series goes through, what they are and the benefit of them, etc. But just as a general challenge today, think about that proverb we started with up front. The sluggard craves but gets nothing. Everybody wants to grow spiritually. Do you really want to? The desire of the diligent is fully satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today that the Word of God is so relevant that you've given us this text by which we can be nourished, that we can be nourished on the words of the faith. And Lord, today, we need to hear this challenge that Paul gave to young Timothy. 
we need to hear the challenge to be disciplined, to persevere and not quit, to take pains with these things, to be absorbed in them, to focus our life on, uh, on you and on the things you've given us, the means you've given us to grow in our walk with you. Father, I pray that today that uh, the Word of God would nourish us, that there might be something from the text or even from another spot that we've read individually that you would challenge us with, that we could chew on throughout the day, that we could apply. God, we ask you to change us, to make us godly like Jesus Christ as we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We pray in Jesus' name.